0: Jesus, you guys need spiritual spankings? (laughs) no. No? All right. Well, then when I say how you guys are doing, you guys talk back. I'm going to be talking today about pleasures, pleasures. Turn with me to Psalm 1611. And those of you who are sharing the chapel, please do so if you want your friends to uh, to watch this. Join me for chapel. We had a great time yesterday with Brandon, didn't we? Isn't that amazing how God just shows up when we make time to be with him and to uh, to love and honor him? And the title of yesterday's, service was his presence and his presence and the whole idea was is that when we seek god and his presence god gives us the presence that we need the different things in our lives that we need and uh, i had a bunch on my heart i got through three in the first service and then i got to uh three in the second service and i thought that that was decent Um, but of course i thought i could do six services, but that was kind of having high hopes. I um, use Psalm 1611 to base the idea of the practice that we were doing, which is when you seek God's presence, ending there with the NCE, God will give you his presence, ending with the ENTS. Now, a better way of saying it would be to go to the scriptures here and see that it's presence, and pleasures. Psalm 1611, if you're there, say I'm there, please. I need you guys to start talking seriously. If you're there, say I'm there. Thank you. If you're not there, say hold up. I want you guys to wake up. I know it's Halloween, but I need you guys to pay attention and to be aware of what we are doing. Take serious the word of God. Psalm 1611, if you're there, please say I'm there. there. Thank you. Say it like you mean it. Thank you. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. C.S. Lewis gave us a great quote from his book, or rather his article on the weight of glory. And you can check that out if you have time. It's also on my Facebook page. And this is what C.S. Lewis said about pleasure. He said, If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of rewards and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. For we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I want to say this to you as your pastor and as someone who loves you far too often. As S.U.M. students, you are far too easily pleased with making your mud pies while God has offered you the vacation at sea. You are far too easily pleased by the temporary pleasures of this world. It's not that you really just struggle with your love for God over spending time with Him as opposed to the video game. It's that you don't love anything really with all your heart, not even that video game. Because if you loved that video game with all your heart, you would see after you giving it your heart, how empty it would leave you. Someone get that door please. Really what you have done, we don't need to, really what you have done is you have hidden your heart even from your own idols. It's not that you don't know how to love God. It's that you don't want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you find yourself in sin, when you find yourself irresponsible to the things of God, when you find yourself lazy, it's not that you're really disinterested. It's that you are really rebellious. Your disinterest in the things of God is rebellion. It's not that God is boring. It's that you are rebellious. When you find yourself struggling to read the Bible, when you find yourself struggling to worship, when you find yourself struggling to make time for the Lord, it's not that you have tasted and seen that God is good and you have become satisfied. It's that you have become rebellious and too easily satisfied by the mud pies that you find yourself in. If you don't know what a mud pie is, it's very similar to what my daughters did when I brought them to the lake when I went fishing. They got bored and they started playing with mud. You see... The things of this world are nothing but mud compared to the glory of God. And I agree with C.S. Lewis. The Lord is not looking at you today saying, you know what? The Cub fan, you just love the Cubs too much and me not enough. No, he's saying to the Cubs fan, you have still not even given your full heart to them. Your desire is weak for them. Because if you gave your whole heart to the Cubs and you pursued it as hard as those who love me pursue me, they would find the Cubs are nothing but mud pies. And so are the Sox, the Bulls, and the Bears. All sports is, is a mud pie. Is it okay to play in the mud as a child? Absolutely. No sinful thing about it. And is it okay to find some pleasure in the things of this world? Sure you can. But they're nothing but mud pies. And so the man who shouts at the game but can't shout in church, it's not that he's lost his ability to shout because he shouted at the Cubs game last night. No, it's because he didn't shout enough. It's because he didn't give it his all. Men will not go to hell because they gave all their heart to the world. Men will go to, and, and, and only try to give some to Jesus, men will go to hell because they kept back parts of them, their heart from everyone, including their idols, and gave it to themselves. See, man's heart is an emotional free will object that God, or I don't say object, it is a free will object. Being, the heart is the soul, the being of man. And man decides how he gives it. And the man who gives it all to sex will soon find out that sex doesn't satisfy. The one who gives it all to his sports is the one who will find it doesn't satisfy. That's why when I go out here to this college campus, I'm always looking at them as that child playing with the mud, just like C.S. Lewis talked about. Because it's not that they've had too much sex to understand the pleasure of heaven. They haven't had enough. They haven't partied too much that they've become dull and numb. They haven't partied enough. So I look at them, and I almost just want to take the mud of this world like the parent does with the child who has a filthy mouth and just shoves soap in their mouth, which I know is a form of torture now but I just want to take that mud and just fill their mouth with it and go get everything, get every bit of it until you realize it is mud. And you would think I'm just talking today about those sinners out there, those idolaters out there, but I have seen it happen all too often here, here in these Bible college classrooms and these chapels, in the year after year that I have been doing this, that far too often, far too often, SUM students lose their pleasure in God because they choose to give it to themselves. I want you to see the correlating scripture to this. Paul wrote to Timothy, that young man serving the Lord in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, and if we're not in the latter times now, after 2,000 years of history since Jesus, I don't know when those times are. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith, follow, de- uh, follow deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Remember we talked about Jesus being the light of the world and him giving us our conscience. Here they have literally traded the voice of their conscience for the voice of demons. And by doing so they have seared their conscience as if with a hot iron. I play guitar and I get these calluses on my fingers and you could put fire and flame and, and pokey things right here and I wouldn't feel it. Can you imagine even more so if you had been burned and your flesh had been seared and the nerves are dead? You don't feel it anymore. And that has become the conscience and the heart of many in this generation. Now he begins to talk about these uh, religious people who try to now live their religion out. This reminds me of Roman Catholicism. They forbid their priests to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods like meat on Fridays, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and will know the, tr- uh, know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. That's why we can eat pork and bacon, amen, in the new covenant. If it's received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer, that's why you pray before you eat, Christian, if you ever wanted to know. If you ever wanted to know why do we bless our food, is because all food now can be received. There is no dietary restriction as long as you do these things. You speak the word of God over it and you pray, you can receive it. Now he says, if you point out these things, you're doing uh, the right thing. Now I want you to see here, I actually put up the wrong one by accident here. Give me a second. This is supposed to be 2 Timothy. It's amazing that I just preached from that like as if that was my scripture. That was awesome. But thank you, Holy Ghost. But I, I thought I just looked at it before. Here we go. Yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Another last time scripture. People will be what? Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and you could put all those attributes after it. Lovers of being boastful, lovers of being proud, lovers of being abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of what? Lovers of what? Lovers of what? Lovers of pleasure, thank you, rather than lovers of God, have, not, have a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Go back to that quote in your mind as I read it again about C.S. Lewis. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Oh, I saw this so much in ministry when I first started. I would be in the inner city in the projects, and I would be watching these kids play in these dirty, parks that just were not t- taken care of. I just felt so bad for these kids. And so I came there very similar to the missionary in 10 shekels and a shirt, uh, that, that, uh, that wonderful sermon by Reit Hart, I believe his name is. And I came there as the missionary thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, these people are going to recognize that they're in sin. They're going to be thankful that I'm here preaching to them. They're going to be happy that I'm going to offer them a way out of here. And not only just spiritually, but actually physically. I will take them on a bus to other parks. I will take them out of their environment. I will change their world for them. I am a missionary. These people will receive me. But what I found out so fast, Christian, is that they love their slums. They loved their dirty parks. They loved the filth that was there. They loved it. And they saw me as a thief. Someone trying to steal their park. Steal their pleasure. They didn't see me. As the Deliverer, they didn't see me as someone bringing forth good news. They saw me bringing bad news. I even remember one time we were going to a trip to Mississippi. A church had a pond and a campground built uh, built there on their grounds. It was an amazing place. It was awesome. As a matter of fact, it used to be the Mississippi Assembly of God campgrounds. So they had chapel and all that stuff there. And then they moved it to another place and gave it to a church. So the church had a big building, a big kitchen, all these dormitories and a pond and all these activities. And uh, I remember thinking, as we were getting ready to go, how many do we have coming? And we, let's say we had a youth group of 50 at that time. I don't remember the number. Let's say we only had about a dozen. I'm just kind of shooting off the numbers off the top of my head, kind of guessing here. But I said, oh, 12 is it's not enough. I mean, my goodness, where's the rest of these kids? And my, my leaders were telling me, they don't want to go. They don't want to go. And I said, "You've got to be kidding me! This is free. This is free. You're, you're sure you told them? They're swimming. There, there is free food. There is indoor basketball. Not at the park with the gangbangers. Not not where they're smoking weed. There's indoor basketball. They could play all night long." Yeah, pastor, they, they don't want to go. I didn't really believe them. I said, "Let's go drive around to some of these houses." We then went to the houses. Knocked on the doors and said we're about ready to go to camp. We're about ready to go. Do you want to come? I remember sitting there begging with them to come and even the mother saying go get out the house go experience this So finally we had a group that wanted to come a group that lived right by me They were known as the Plimira gang They were just a young group of kids, but they were pretty crazy for as young as they are They ended up turning to be very crazy as life went on, they became the real deal. But this was them as young kids. And so I, I continued to talk to them. And finally, I got about four or five of them to come. And you can ask Glenn. This is so true. And then we bring them out there. It went horrible. They started to get scared. They started wanting to call their mom every five seconds. Then in their fright, in their fear, they started to fight with each other. We tried to break up their fights. They stabbed Glenn with a pencil. That's where that story comes from. And then they cursed at us, yelled at us. You bring me home. You take me home now, you effing pastor. You take me home now. You ask Glenn. They cursed Glenn out the entire way back. Entire way back. men have given up that conscience, and they trade it for something else. And what they find is that that something else will never satisfy. And what begins to happen is that we see is that we love those mud pies. And there becomes an addiction to that mud pie. And now the gospel is not the good news to get us free from the mud pie. The gospel's the bad news that I can't fight anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I know it becomes obvious when I talk about dealing with kids in the projects and in Section 8 housing. But it's the same thing here today. Anytime you ever choose something over God, it's not by accident. It's not going to be by accident. It's because you, you are a half-hearted creature. You are double-minded. You are that child playing with the mud, thinking to yourself, it's not so bad here. I have my friends here. It's not so bad if I drop out of Bible college. I still have my job. I'll still have my family. It's not so bad if I compromise. It's not so bad if I leave, go find another church that maybe doesn't hold me accountable to these things here. It's not so bad. And what do we find out? Is that the problem isn't really. The problem isn't really that these young people love their hood so much, they love their family so much, is that they didn't love it enough. Because if they would have loved that neighborhood for what that neighborhood was, they would have saw how disgusting it was after a while. You ever go to somebody's house and they feed you something and you, and, and you don't like it, and now you're in a peculiar position here because now it's like if I tell them I like it, they're probably going to want to put more on my plate. But if I say I don't like it, then it's going to come off rude. So it's like, uh, I like it? You don't know how to say it. But I found myself in those places as a pastor. Oh, this is good. Okay, great. Have some more. And you're getting to the point where it's just making you sick. And at some point, you literally have to say, I'm sorry, I can't eat anymore. It's not good for me. I brought over an Indian friend, my neighbor downstairs in the apartment Nancy and I used to live in. He was from India studying medical, uh, become a doctor here in Chicago, and we brought him over to our, uh, my in-laws' house, my, na- my uh, wife's parents, for Thanksgiving. You know, he had no family or, f- or really close friends, and uh, we, we brought him over there. And he was eating and enjoying it as it appeared to us because now we were on the other side, not knowing the cultural barrier there, and we kept feeding him and feeding him until literally he puked at the table right onto the table he 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 from his culture could not say no and my greek mother-in-law kept feeding and he puked at the table now some of you would say that's crazy but my thing is have you ever been to india if ricky would not have given me the key to our hotel room fast enough i would have puked at an indian table because they kept feeding me, and I kept eating it, and I was actually enjoying it. But something hit my stomach. Within one bite, it was about ready to come up so fast. And I said, Ricky, give me the keys. Give me the keys. And he's like, my hands are dirty because you don't eat with utensils there. You eat with your hands. He said, get it out of my pocket. And I went in there and got it. And I ran from the restaurant, from the table, into the bathroom. And the moment I was in the, just hurled it all up. And that's why I said to my mother-in-law, don't take it personal. Our diets are so different from these two continents. Our diets are so different. But you see, we haven't puked enough yet. The world hasn't disgusted us enough yet. That's why when you see the uh, the 116 crew taking their steps closer and closer to the Lord, they haven't gone to enough Little Wayne parties yet. They're too half-hearted about it they they haven't been out yet into that realm of that part of the world yet among the sinners they are sissies do you understand they're so half-hearted and that's the way it looks like in the same way when it comes with you do you remember when jesus told the parable about counting the cost don't start what you're not willing to finish because if you don't, Jesus said this, if you don't finish that tower, it will be half built. People will walk by you, and they will mock you. That's what a half-hearted, half-hearted person looks like. Very rarely will you ever find someone who really lives according to their worldview 110%. First of all, Christians are required to love God with all your heart, period. But very rarely will you ever meet someone other than a Christian. As a matter of fact, I'll put before you that only Christians can be true to their worldview. Only Christians. Everything else will lead to an inconsistency. One of the biggest ones that come into my mind is I like listening to these debates with Christians, with atheists. And David Wood, who really does a lot with uh, the Muslims, just debated Michael Shermer, Michael Shermer produces magazines trying to expose healing evangelists and all of these different things. And what always gets me, and I haven't listened to this debate yet, but what always gets me in these kinds of debates is is the man will stand up who doesn't believe in God, he'll say, there's no God, there's no meaning to life, you are here by accident, there's not even a free will. You are a machine of molecules controlled by your DNA. And then he will tell you a bunch of things that are meaningful to him, a bunch of things that he believes has purpose, and try to convince you of it. If I ever met an atheist that really lived by his worldview, it would probably be only one or two kinds of people I could possibly meet. The one at his funeral because he committed suicide, because he knows that everything is totally worthless. Why even go through it anyways? Or the most hedonistic, sensual person a lunatic, someone in jail, like a Jeffrey Dahmer, who actually said, by evolutionary thinking, I led to eating people, because why not? So you either meet a psychopath, or you meet someone in their grave. But there is no consistent atheist. There really isn't. So often we meet people that have these contradictions in their worldviews. ISIS is not a false version of Islam. ISIS is doing their best to live exactly as their founder. They're doing their best. Sex slaves, jihad, war, conquering, torture people, throw people off buildings, just like Muhammad did. But even Muhammad said at times he was demon-possessed. So he himself was a contradiction, so you can't even be consistent in that because he wasn't even a consistent Muslim and we show them the contradictions there. As a matter of fact I believe the only non-contradictory lifestyle is the one of Christianity because it comes with total denial and surrender to someone else. What mud pies do you still want to play with? What things do you still want to do? I was talking to Brandon yesterday on our way back, and I won't name the names, but we were just talking about people because he runs in a lot of these circles. And if you guys remember from last year, we talked about some of these men in our leadership time. And I said to him, I said, not only would I not pay to go to one of these people's conferences, I said, but they should pay me to come teach them at their conference. And, and it's it just, to this world, That just sounds so cocky and prideful. But let me ask you something. If you are, just imagine today, going to go catch a plane, okay, And as you're going to go catch a plane, you pass by a slum, a project, a low-income housing. And as you're going by there, you've got your suitcase. You've got all these things ready to go. You've got your ticket. And let's even take it one step further. Let's say they're homeless. So they're not even as well off as the one who has the apartment in Cabrini Green. They're the homeless person in Cabrini Green. Are you with me? And that person is just there minding their own business. And you go to them and you say, listen, God has spoken to me. I want to give you one of the plane tickets that I had. Or just say you could get a new one whatever. And you'd get another one. You'd say, I want to give this to you. All you got to do is just come with me right now. All you got to do is just take the ticket and just come with me if that person is on drugs they're going to make all the excuses in the world why not to do that I used to try to get homeless people off streets into my house not even into a program i would bring them into my house and I would have to beg them the same way we do with the projects but now just imagine this whatever he says he's got to do let's say now He's just going to give you his best excuse. You've heard it. Let's say, well, uh, you know, I can't. I don't want to leave, et etc. Et now imagine you say to him this. Do you want the pleasure of this trip? Do you want the pleasure of it? He would probably say, yeah, I want the pleasure of it. But then why aren't you willing to do something to receive it? The reason is, is he really doesn't want it. He's just saying he wants it. Because by his actions, he's showing you what he really wants. And what he wants is to be homeless, shooting heroin tonight. Because if he really wanted that trip, he would grab that take it. Many of you, if you could have gone with Rudy and all of them to, uh, what's it, Cana? Putacana. You would have gone in 30 seconds because you would really want that trip. And so the problem isn't that today people don't understand God. I know in some ways they don't. Don't get me wrong. But it's not really that. It's really they don't want it. Let me give you another illustration I think is a little bit better. Adam and Eve, do you think they understood God? Well, they were made by him. Do you think they believed in God? I mean, when I say understand God, I don't mean they understood the infinite capabilities of, of all of what God is. But did they understand there's a God? I mean, did they understand they were made by God? Do you think they were walking around thinking they came from the monkey that they just, they just named? Do you think there was that kind of a conversation in their mind? Do you think there was any question to who God was, who they were, what the world was? So perfect relationship with God. Couldn't get any better. Perfect environment. The environment, absolutely perfect. Perfect soul and spirit. No need to be born again. Their first birth was in perfection. But Eve saw this fruit that it was good to eat. See, she chose a fruit over her God. Not because she didn't understand God, but because she wanted something that God said she couldn't have. And she wanted that desire determines where you go in life. Desire. Want to get up early in the morning? You will get up in the morning. Desire. You want to beat that video game? You'll stay up all night till you beat that video game. Won't do it for your schoolwork. Why? You don't desire it. And you're half-hearted. Double-minded. Bible college student that lives like that falls directly into these words, having a form of godliness but denies its power. You look like you're sold out. You look like you're willing to give all your heart to Jesus, but at times you hold back these things and you play with your little mud pie and someone like me comes to you and says, don't do that, there's something better for you. And yet, like Esau, you'll change your entire inheritance for a bowl of beans. Bowl of beans. And each one of you have your temptations facing you right now. And each one of you already have a list of excuses that you can pick out. And I wish I could name them right now, but I'm preaching publicly, so I won't. So I'll try to speak as vague as I can. But all you have to do is just go pick out that little thing and let your desire for this world and this lack of self-control and this lover of ungodly pleasure instead of God's pleasure, let all of that control you and you just pull out that excuse and you'll look good to yourself. But I want you to get this in your mind, how you look to God Is like a four-year-old baby with mud on your face trying to eat your mud pie. He still has compassion and he loves you. But nonetheless, it is disgusting because you know better. You know better than to go to that mud pie. You know better. You've been taught better. You have been set up for success. You have been shown the ways of the Lord. And so in closing, as we get ready to pray, because I want to make some time to pray, look at what David said. You make known to me the path of life. Psalm 16, You do that for me, God. You make it known to me. I'm not without excuse. I don't have one, Jesus. You make known to me. You tell me what it's about. I believe in everybody in some way or another through their conscience. They know there's a path of life. And you see, only those who choose that path can say this next part. And that's why I do believe in a backslider. And the Bible says the backslider is like the dog who goes back to his vomit. Is that not what the Bible says? If you don't think I'm being clear enough in my examples, the Bible says the backslider goes back to the vomit. You have made, made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The one who turns their back on God to get... The pleasures of this world are the dog going to their vomit. What would you rather be? A dog eating, a vomit eating dog? Or a prince? Or a princess? In the kingdom of your God. Sitting at the banquet table. Feasting on the things of God. So where's the application? Everyone look at me, please. The application is, get hungry. Desire things in life. Stop being so half-hearted. Desire true glory. Desire true pleasure. And find it in God. And if you say, Pastor, well then I... I'm not, no, I'm not sure if I'm ready to find it in God. The Bible says in Revelation, let the one who sins continue in sin then. Then go find your pleasure in sin and come back to me as your pastor, but really unto the Lord. But come back to me as a representative of the Lord, as the prodigal son who really went after it all, who spent all that he had on his earthly pleasures until he was left, broke, busted, and disgusted, eating pig slop. Saying, I know now this worldly pleasure doesn't compare to what I've been offered by my father. I remember talking to one of the women, uh, young ladies at at Wright College. And, you know, sometimes you run into these know-it-alls, these kids that think they know everything. And I was in one conversation with this girl. And she was so backwards, contradicting herself, she didn't know what she was talking about. And at one point, I just looked at her and I said, listen to me, I know more than you and I can embarrass you right now in what you don't know. I said, but this is not a battle of who knows what. Listen to me. Jesus is telling you to repent. She got so offended when I told her I knew more than her. Like that just offended her. Like, eh. And I almost just wish at that moment we could have just stopped everything, took a test on whatever knowledge is, shown books, and she could just get the revelation like, I am dumb compared to this man. Like, it's just a fact. Like, you can't ball like Michael Jordan. He will ball on you. He will sauce on you. You ain't got it like that. And I just thought to myself, the pride of this generation that wants to act like they know everything because they can go to Google, act like they've experienced everything because they went to a party and popped a few pills and maybe had sex behind their parents' back. Like they don't know. They don't know this world yet. They haven't been to enough funerals yet. They haven't had enough friends that they party with, commit suicide, yet. They don't know. They don't know, but they pretend to know. And what I'm trying to do is shake you up and say, stop acting like this world has something for you, because you do know better. You know there's nothing out here for you in this world. There should be no other option for you guys except to fulfill the plan of God on your life, to fulfill the call. You you should be here with more excitement and more passion than any player from those teams that are going to be in the World Series tomorrow. You should be pursuing the things of God in a way that makes the world jealous. Because they see in you the eternal pleasures of God. The eternal pleasures of God. Who was Che Guevara? He tried to live his most consistent life as a socialist. Once again, still probably was contradicting himself in other areas. Christianity is the only true worldview. But as he was your age, he led revolutions. Where do you think Fidel Castro came from? You think he was always that old, weird-looking dude? Him and Che were best friends. They were like the hot Latino guys. They were like the rap stars of their day. They changed revolution, uh, changed countries. They brought revolutions. What do you believe in? Are you going to let Che Guevara pimp you with his life and show you what it's like to be hungry for something? You better not. You better start a revolution here. Go get you one. Go be known for what you're passionate about. The Black Lives Matter movement, all of the demonstrations that they stage, all of their safe spaces that they keep giving at the lakefront, Sister Soldier can say, I'm about this right here. And she's showing them, this is how I'm helping the black community. By doing what your grandpa used to do, what your grandma used to do. When our communities were the strongest, we were in church. And that's why you're going to have people follow you. Because you're not going to let the Black Lives Matter out Black Lives Matter or care more about black lives than you. It's not that we don't love enough. Or it's not that we love things too much. We don't love them enough. Because we'll find out how empty they are. And when we awaken to our real passion, we will find out that we were made for glory. We were made for eternal pleasures. That's why I love hanging around people who have been around a little bit, who have done some of the dirt, been around the parties, been around the clubs, had some money. I wish I could take One of the, like Zobrist or whatever that guy's from the Cubs, that Christian man from the Cubs, I wish I could just bring him out to Wright College today and be like, all you young people, bow down to your idol. And as they go down to bow down and kiss the ring of the Cub player, he says, listen, I ain't nothing but a servant of God. Bow down to Jesus. And I guarantee you, the people who would be willing to bow down to their Cub player would say, I won't bow down to that. But the Cub player says, I bow down to Jesus. (laughs) How foolish we are. How foolish we are. We've got billionaires. Kathy of Chick-fil-A, billionaires, Green of Hobby Lobby, telling us, it's not about money. Bow down to Jesus. It's not about money. And if I had him right now with his stack of money like these wannabe rappers, not one has reached a billion yet. Some have gotten close. Dr. Dre has gotten close. Together, Beyonce and Jay-Z may have about a billion, But here, he could stack up his billion up here. And we could say, bow down to your idol. Oh, and they would bow down for that, wouldn't they? They would bow down for that pleasure, that same pleasure that allowed Robin Williams to kill himself. Bow down to your pleasure. And then if we had Kathy step up and go, hey, don't bow down to my bank account. That's pocket change. Bow down to Jesus. Oh, we don't want that. They would get angry. You see, how many of us need to die or become born again before we realize there ain't nothing in this world for us? All of our superstars die, but we keep sending more. We keep sending more. We watch what happened to Britney Spears. That's okay. We'll send more. We watch what happened to Amy Winehouse. We'll send more. And watch them all lose their mind and get demon-filled. And then we'll see others leave these industries. We'll see them turn their back on it. We'll see them come to Jesus Christ. And then we still won't wake up and we'll go, well, well, it will satisfy me. It will satisfy me. Let the deaths, let the destruction of this world and the grace of our God show us there's nothing there for you. There's nothing there. Now ask yourself this question. Has God put in you a hunger and a desire for more? Than what you have ever experienced in this world. Yes, he has. And so the very fact that we go after pleasures should show us that we were made for pleasure, that we were made for it. So it's not wrong to want pleasure, it's not wrong to want joy. I remember going out with my wife just a couple of days ago, and we were sitting at a table, and there was these guys, and it looked like it was a work party, and they were celebrating their co-worker's birthday. They were so loud and obnoxious that the tables, that Longhorn, Longhorn even a nice restaurant, their table was right here. My wife and I were right here. She was talking. We were literally just across the table. She couldn't hear herself, let alone me, and just stopped talking mid-sentence. And, and what it sounded like was this. It stounded, sounded like stupidity, folly. One man would say something. Yeah, you a Cubs fan, I'm a Sox fan. And then they would all laugh and rib each other. Then the next one would say, oh, yeah, but you this. And it's no different than girls getting along together like little chickens. And I just saw man in his folly. And I said to myself, these laughs are not even real laughs. They were were just their way of trying to communicate to the other person, I need something else in my life. Their loud bellow. When you do this, it was such a fake laugh that I literally... Could have sat right there in front of them and said, $100 right now if you laugh for real. $100, you laugh for real right now. Show me a real laugh. Because you don't got joy. What you got is a few beers and a stupid way about yourself right now and a half hearted joy. $100, you show me a real laugh. You show me one that lightens your countenance. You show me one that brightens the mood. You show me one that changes your eyes. You know what I'm talking about. And Some of you participate in stuff like that, and it's a part of your immaturity. I just said to my wife, I said, they're just playing the role of men, and they'll think they had a good time. I'm not saying they haven't laughed before for real. I'm just saying that kind of idiocy is what the world thinks is a good time. No, no, no. the reason why I don't want to sit at your table is it's not because you're having such a good time and I'm a fuddy-duddy. The reason why I don't want to sit at your table is because you don't know what a good time looks like. You don't know what it's like to sit next to your best friend who you've mourned the loss of his miscarriage with. But you've also been at his weddings and dedicated his children and you don't know what it's like for him to say something that's funny and you celebrate together. and You have true joy, honest, open hearts, drinking each other's spirit in. Drinking in the glory of God through fellowship. What you have is idiocy. What you have is what the world says is a good time, but to me it's a mud pie. What mud pies are staining your teeth and making your breast stank and defiling you. You know what I'm talking about. Let me just show you right now. I'll get a picture right here. Someone eating mud. You want to see a picture of someone eating mud? (laughs) You want to see that? You got to get me over here, man. I can't get it. Go ahead and get that for me. I want to show them a piece a person eating mud. Oh, I pray today that you find the pleasures of heaven. I pray today that you find the joys of heaven. Tell me when you can just put an Internet thing right there. There you go. Let's see if I can get it up here. Yeah, get it over there, please, quickly. Yeah, but I need you to uh, put the uh, Internet there quickly, please. Thank you. I got it. want more out of this life than the mud of this world? How many believe God created you for more than the mud pie? Would I be a good parent to feed my children mud? I just saw this child on this other one. There's a couple up here, but I wanted to show this one that Something like this one here, but I'm gonna get another one here. Here we go. I want you to see this and know that's what you trade for eternal pleasure. That's what your sin is. That's what my sin is. Those who are not able to see this picture, it's a disgusting picture. As a matter of fact, put the camera on it so they can see it, please. Thank you. This is what you look like. Aren't you thankful that Jesus loves you? Aren't you thankful that Jesus created you for more than this? Who wants to see us like this, Anthony? Who wants to see you and I like this? Who? The world, but who makes the world find this enjoyable? Who put that in their heart? The devil. The devil wants to to see to the devil wants to see the image of God defiled. That's what it is. It's defilement, excrement, the filth of this world, and the devil wants to see us in it. And we've talked here before on a deeper level. Why? I think because if he can defile so many on Judgment Day when that time comes, he'll say, you can't send us all to this place, the Lake of Fire. You can't put us all there. Oh, but our holy God will. Our holy God will. This child here knows no better. But this is not the state of humanity. This picture would be perfect if it was a human. I mean, an adult, because this is a human too. But you know what I mean. We know better. You know better when you look at pornography. You know better when you lie. You know better when you go back to your old lifestyle. You know better when you are lazy, not wanting to do your homework and your studies. You know better. And it's not because you don't know how good God is. and It's not because, well, it's just not the way that I am. No, it's because you love something else. And you're half-hearted. What did Jesus say he's going to do to the lukewarm in Revelation 3.16? Spit them out of his mouth. Could he have been more disgusting and yet more terrifying at the same time? Our God and creator uses the word spit out of my mouth like a loogie to his own church? Could you imagine if I did that as an illustration right now? As I was riding my 30 miles today, Lugie's coming out. Could you imagine if I just stood in front of you and just hawked a Lugie and said, that's what he said you would be like on Judgment Day. I mean, it would just make this almost like I'm a shock jock of preaching. But I'm not here to do that. I'm here. But I want you to get the visuals of what these people are talking about. A dog eating vomit. C.S. Lewis said mud pie. Jesus said spit you out of his mouth. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But Jesus said you can actually have both. Or the psalmist said you can have pleasure in God's presence. I don't have to trade. Thank you, Joby, please come. I don't have to trade my desire for pleasure when I come to God. I get my pleasures from my God. They're eternal. I was made for this. I was made for this. I wasn't made for the mud pie. I wasn't made for this. I wasn't made, even if the Cubs win the World Series, it will end. Here's a Sox fan. It ended, didn't it? The party ended. The celebration's over now. Can't take it with you now. Moves on. Life moved on. It wasn't eternal. Where's your past? Where's your, where, where is, where is, where is the, the moment of winning the World Series Sox player? Sox, where is that moment? It's gone like a vapor. It's gone. Where will your family be? Gone like vapor. Where will your job be? Gone like vapor. Where will all your accomplishments be? Gone like vapor. And None of them will save you. All that you do in this world, all your achievements will be like air passing through your hands on Judgment Day when you fall from the glory of God to the lake of fire. And it's not because he sends you there, because it was against your will. He gives you just what you wanted. Your existence without him. And I know I'm made for more. Amen. And I want to be around those who are God seekers and God chasers. Those who seek the pleasures of heaven. Those here, when you laugh and you play and you're jovial, it's not like the Bible says in foolish talking and foolish jesting, but it's in the joy of the Lord. Amen? That when you fall in love, it's not because of sex or convenience, it's because of the beauty of the soul of the one you've fallen in love with. Because if they were burned in the fire tomorrow and be unrecognizable, you would hold their hand and say, I love you. The same. Love you the same. That's love. And it's because you serve God here out of that pleasure, as we talked last week about the wedding and the wine, to serve God's people the wine of heaven, you wouldn't trade it for anything. To participate in the pleasure of the miracle. And then I was reading, I I listened to the whole book of John the other day. And and then, you know, because it starts off we're servants. And it's like we're in the wedding just like the servants handing out the wine. But at the end of the book of John, he says, you're no longer my servants. You're my friend. You're sitting at the table with me. And it was just like, God, you so confirmed that to me. Because I said, you know, the servants in that story probably didn't get to have the wine. But I could still see Jesus handing it off to them. But the the conclusion of the wedding going to the end of Jesus' life there with them is like, you're not just the one participating in the miracle, you know, handing it out, like how they handed out the food and all that. It's like you're actually eating it with me. You're drinking it with me. You're my bud. What greater pleasure is that? Amen. I know I took our prayer time for this, but I hope that you got something out of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, and Joby, please get ready. Thank you. Father, thank you for today. May we not be half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex, and ambition when infinite joys offered to us. May we not be like an ignorant child wanting to go on making mud pies in the slum, but rather accept the eternal pleasures that you've given us. May we not be so easily pleased with the things of this world, but may we find the desire that is only quenched in your presence, O oh Lord, because our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. And we pray for sinners today that they wouldn't be half-hearted sinners, either they would pursue their sin with full might, that they may see the emptiness of it, or they would repent now and come to God, who always satisfies, and who, when they taste and see that you are good, and that they are uh, drink from your well, they will never thirst again. And I pray for this cohort to be lovers of your presence, to always love you more than anything else. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Can you give it up for Jesus?